This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Health IQ, the life insurance company that advocates for the vegan and health conscious lifestyles. That's right, Health IQ rewards us for our lifestyle choices. Head over to healthiq.com slash no meat to learn more about all sorts of ways you can save money on life insurance. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Frazier, joined by Doug Hay, and Doug, today's a special episode because we have a very special guest, one Stephanie Romine, who listeners may know as the co-author of the forthcoming No Meat Athlete Cookbook. Stephanie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Matt and Doug. Yeah, so this will be fun. Um, I guess, we I mean, the, the shortest version of our story, Stephanie, is that uh, we met when you moved to Asheville back in, I guess that was 2014, probably? 2012. End of 2012, yeah. Really? That's that's way wrong from yeah. what I said. Okay. No, that's all right. Time flies. <laughs> wow. Okay. I, I was, you know what it is? I knew it was related to when my first book came out because that was somehow when we started talking. And I knew it that is. came out in 13, and I was thinking maybe we didn't start talking till 14. But I'm, I'm all messed up. So anyway, 2012, you... Uh, emailed and said, hey, I'm in the area and I think we should just connect because we're both into the same stuff. And yep. we went out to a brewery and uh, I guess hit it off well enough that, that a few short years later, we were working on a cookbook together. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you had written, let's see, you've written two books before this one, Stephanie, is that right? I Technically three, but yeah, two um, that have my name on it. I worked for six years for sparkpeople.com. I was their editorial director and I managed sparkrecipes.com. So the Spark People Cookbook and the Spark Solution were my first two books. And I worked on another one with a client just before you and I started working on this cookbook. Got it. Okay. And we should also mention, I guess, that you are, uh, or at least have been at different times, a yoga instructor, a health coach, uh, a runner yourself. What am I missing? Those things are all still current. Um, okay. Yes, I'm all of those things. Um, I also study herbalism and Ayurveda. Okay. Gotcha. Good. So uh, we were trying to think about topics for this podcast, what we would focus on. And, and uh, my best idea at first was, was the buy our cookbook topic. But then we, uh, <laughs> we, opted for, we figured we should have something a little bit more valuable to listeners than that. So we decided to focus mostly on meal planning. And uh, the reason is, when I think about like what uh, our process for writing the cookbook, which by the way, anyone can check out if you go to, uh, to nomadathlete.com slash cookbook, you will find it. Um, it's been gotten some really good early press, so we are very much excited about that. Uh, so much, in fact, that I think we should maybe change the subtitle, Stephanie, to a Sports Illustrated Best Health and Wellness Book of 2017, because we seem to say that all the time about it. <laughs> yeah, we totally do. That was completely unexpected. It was a wonderful honor, and we are so, so excited about all of the activity that's come since then. Yes. That was a great way to sneak it in there, Matt. We are honored. And it's it in our been, signature line. It's been yeah. very helpful in the marketing process that that mm -hmm. happened so early. Uh, but anyway, as, as I was, as we've thought about a lot of times, we were like, so what, what is making this book special? Why, what is, why are the recipes in this book? Why are they here? Cause there are a billion plant-based recipes and you know, you could say any of them are suitable for athletes, not any, but a lot of them. Uh, but the, the points that we kept coming back to as we were writing the book in deciding how the recipe should be and which one should make it in and what should our focus be on really, it was about practicality, I guess, under the assumption that anyone who considers themselves an athlete, and, and of course we don't mean competitive athlete, just someone who, you know, gets at it a few times a week, whatever whatever that means for you, whether whether it's running or yoga or who knows what, uh, 
typically that person is is busier perhaps than a typical plant-based foodie might be, right? They're not trying to make gourmet dishes. They're not trying to spend two hours on a weeknight in the kitchen. Uh, it's really about practicality. A lot of people have families. So that's, that is really what, uh, what dictated a lot of the decisions that we made. So to me, it makes sense that that be our focus for this episode. And uh, I guess the place to start there is meal planning because that's, that's really what uh, I think when, when we think about practicality or, or creating a system around our food and streamlining things, it kind of all comes back eventually to meal planning. I mean, there can be lots of food individual tips for how to store and prepare certain foods, uh, and we do have plenty of that stuff in the book. But I think meal planning is really the the core of of the issue. So, Stephanie, do you have a do you have a specific method that you use for meal planning, or one that you recommend to people? I do, and it's outlined in the No Meat Athlete Cookbook. And I'm also going to share a sort of an abbreviated version um, today. So I block off some time every weekend, usually two to three hours. I love being in the kitchen. Um, you don't need quite that much time, but for me, it's a really enjoyable part of my weekend. Um, so I block off that time to prep and to cook and to really get ahead. Um, at the end of the week, so I'm already starting to plan, just knowing that we were going to talk about meal planning. I'm already starting to plan ahead for next week. I'm also going to be traveling most of next week. So I want to really set my husband up for success while I'm gone. Um, he has a long commute and he is an avid cyclist and um, he also runs. So I want to make sure that he's squared away um, and doesn't have to spend an hour staring into the refrigerator every night wondering what's for dinner. Um, so I block off that time. I put together a shopping list. Of course, I go to the grocery store um, or my husband does. And then I have this sort of double up method, as we call it in the book. I make a couple of sauces, um, prepare a couple of veggies, make two main dishes. And then something that's not in the book, but that I've started doing recently is I also plan out and sometimes make ahead two different breakfasts. So we're both huge breakfast eaters. We can't just have a bowl of cereal or like some coconut yogurt and granola, we really need a pretty substantial meal to start the day. Um, I do my yoga practice in the morning on an empty stomach. So by the time I sit down for breakfast, I've um, worked out for 60 to 90 minutes um, and I'm ravenous. So, so this morning, for example, we had avocado toast with kimchi and then we had a tofu scramble on the side. Or some weeks we have waffles, that's usually for him because I don't really like sweets in the morning. Um, or I'll make scones or muffins or other things like that ahead of time so that in the morning it's not, what am I going to have for breakfast? And then you start the day off starving. Uh, well, Stephanie, that sounds uh, somewhat more more involved than the banana and three strawberries that I had this morning for breakfast. <laughs> it does. And I, I love big breakfasts, but I certainly do not have time every single morning to sit down and make a tofu scramble from scratch. So if I make a big batch on a Sunday morning then we can eat it throughout the week. Um, we usually add some kale or some spinach. Um, sometimes we shake it up and we put it on top of avocado toast or um, we serve it with roasted potatoes or leftover roasted veggies from the night before. And it makes you feel like you're having this feast in the middle of the week, but really all you had to do was reheat it. I like that. Uh, can, you, can you go back to this, to this double up method because you kind of went quickly over it, but I think to someone who hasn't seen it before like I have, uh, it might not be totally obvious. Can you just talk a little bit more about what what exactly that does? And I mean, you mentioned that makes that you get two meals planned that way, but what about the rest of the week and and how's it all work? So for me, I start by um, creating sort of a bank of food that I'll just keep in the fridge and use for 
lunches and dinners um, when I don't have something else planned. I look at our schedules for the week. I look at the nights that Sam and I are going to go to the gym together and lift weights. I know in that case, we're not going to get home until late and we're going to need to have something made ahead. I also look at the nights where I know I'm going to be home earlier or maybe I'm working from home and I have more time to cook something start to finish from scratch. So I start by um, making a calendar and filling in everything I'm going to eat for the week. And then I go in and I use this double up method. And you can expand it. You can use it for the entire week if you'd like. And you can create, um, for us, I mostly only focus on the weeknights. Um, weekends, we have a lot more free time and we either treat ourselves and go out to eat or I cook um, from scratch or maybe we cook together in the kitchen. Um, but then we go through, well, I go through, um, and start to plan. So I, I start with two sauces, um, and I make usually double batches of those so that no matter what we end up eating for dinner, we have something to add a little flavor boost. We have an entire chapter in the book that's devoted to flavor boosts, sauces, um, seasoning blends, and things like that. Mostly so you can start with a really simple meal, like beans and rice and some steamed kale and then you can add a sauce and suddenly it's something that's really delicious and that you'll crave and want to eat again. Um, I also prepare a couple of different veggies um, and I usually start with ones that I know are going to store well and keep well. So this week that was a roasted cabbage um, and I ended up adding some maple and mustard to that and then I did roasted sweet potatoes um, and then I make ahead two main dishes and I usually make enough so that we'll have two breakfasts, or I'm sorry, two lunches and two dinners from those. And then I make the two breakfasts. Um, and I also tend to double whatever I make. I make a double batch of it. Um, and then that gives us enough for our lunches as well, because Sam and I both pack our lunches. Um, I know if it's if meal planning is new to people, it can feel kind of intimidating. Um, and throughout the week, you know, you're going to need to make things like a vegetable um, and you can't make things ahead of time like spinach um, or really delicate vegetables that won't store well. Um, but this method works well for sort of sort of setting the foundation for the week, getting your basis covered and then um, mixing and matching things. So we have... Um, we have some charts in the book that show if you created two sauces, two veggies, and two mains, you could mix and match them throughout the week for five breakfast or five lunches and five dinners. And then personally, I started adding those two breakfasts just because I don't want one of my meals to be really bland and boring and then the other two to be awesome. Um, I love eating and I really look forward to breakfast. I always wake up really hungry and then I'm eating breakfast after yoga. So I'm Happiness by then. So, so you're basically using the time that you have to cook to go ahead and make two meals. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then you can mix and match them. So I try to think of things as building blocks because if you eat the same meal for five days in a row, you're going to get really bored of it by, say, Wednesday. Um, and that's one of the trouble. Um, that's part of the trouble that people have when they do meal plan. If they try to plan five days at a time, they, they plan like, like say you make lasagna and lasagna makes, you know, 12 servings. You're going to eat that six days, <laughs> you know, if you're mm -hmm. just cooking for yourself, two meals a day and you're going to get tired of it. So if you think of it sort of in this double up method where you create pairs of things and then mix and match. Um, so you could do 
all kinds of different ones. I planned for next week. And next week, I'm going to do Korean barbecue bowls. And I'm going to use um, soy curls, which are just um, soybeans, uh, frozen broccoli, rice, shredded cabbage, and then I'll finish it with kimchi. And I use a Korean tahini barbecue sauce that's in our book. And then the other meal we're going to have, or Sam's going to have because I'll be traveling, is uh, enchilada-style lentils. So I cook um, lentils using the same method that we use for refried beans in the No Meat Athlete Cookbook. And then I'll use um, sauteed peppers, roasted sweet potatoes. And then every day um, when he's ready to eat, he'll add greens um, and an enchilada sauce. I think that, so, so for me, I always thought of meal planning as mapping out what I was going to eat that week, you know, like mm-hmm. putting together a list and going to the grocery store on Sunday and kind of having an idea of what we were going to eat that week. But it wasn't until recently that we actually started doing some prep ahead of time, like soaking beans or even chopping vegetables and, uh, you know, actually taking time when we did have the time, taking, using that time wisely to go ahead and prep food that was, so we could just throw it right in the oven or right on the stove uh, and, and just heat it up and have it ready. And that has been a, such a game changer. I, I don't know why that never clicked for me before. Uh, and I'm sure I've heard it many times, but it, it's like so much easier when you have the food that's almost ready to cook right (laughs) or almost ready and then you Mm -hmm. just kind of throw it right on the stove and you have a meal and it's it's like it's great yeah well I I started applying um some of my goal setting techniques to meal planning and again I love cooking I develop recipes for fun obviously I I wrote the cookbook with Matt um I love to cook but at the end of a long day and then either going to the gym or going for a run or, or doing a yoga practice I don't want to spend an hour in the kitchen on a random Wednesday night. So I try to fit it in wherever I can. And if you've removed those obstacles that are going to come up, um, usually it's motivation or energy at the end of the day. So if you've already taken out those obstacles by, you know, chopping your cabbage um, in the morning or like you said, soaking the beans so they'll cook faster. Or for us, I cook batches of lentils and beans earlier in the week or whenever I have a pocket of time and then we use them throughout the week. Um, I have fine-tuned things over the last um, few weeks and months so that I um, even write down like, okay, I know that I have more energy in the mornings and I have um, four hours between when I get up in the morning and when I go to work. So I can slow cook something or I can pressure cook something Um, while I'm at home in the morning and then it'll be ready to go for that night's dinner. All you need to do is reheat it. We should uh, add here just so as not to intimidate anyone. I mean, all of us have a certain degree of flexibility in our schedules that not everybody Mm -hmm. does. Um, So it's easy on these podcasts to start talking about cooking beans and things like that. But I do want to remind people, like, you can totally buy canned beans. Like, yes, it's absolutely nice nice to do it. And sometimes it can feel good and it's fun to make your own. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it will taste a little bit better, too. But as far as health goes, I mean, there's really not much wrong with cans. Sodium is one issue. So if you can get the beans with either uh, reduced sodium or no salt added, that's a good thing. And then watch out for the BPA lining. Whole Foods, among other stores, now uh, offers BPA-free cans, and they're not that much more expensive than the other ones. So uh, there are certainly ways around this and ways to to shortcut even uh, approaches like this. But with this method specifically, Stephanie, I just want to give people mm-hmm. uh, one more example for how they can uh, how they could actually make this work at home. Uh, even without buying the cookbook, um, <laughs> you so you you've mentioned now that the two sauces and the two dishes that you were doing this week, right? You had the Korean mm-hmm. barbecue sauce, and then you were going to make the Korean 
barbecue bowl. Sorry if I'm not yes. exactly the same with that. Is. No worries. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, the, enchilada, the enchilada style lentils with a sauce, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that that's two meals, obviously. Um, so how where are the other meals in the week coming from when you talk about mixing and matching? Like, in, in, so in what ways are you covering the other three nights out of the five week nights? Those might be the nights where you open a can of beans and like you said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with canned beans, frozen vegetables, that sort of thing. I am all about taking shortcuts wherever we can. Um, it just so happens I own an instant pot now and feel compelled to always make my beans from scratch. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, right. But I, I, I love the simplicity of that. Um, so the sauces, some weeks they might be salad dressings. And then, um, you know, that day we either um, just toss some greens together with whatever vegetables we have in the fridge um, with one of our sauces. Um, the You Can't Believe It's Cashew Ranch from our book mm-hmm. is, is one, the one that came from Sid, um, is one that we eat all the time. Um, and we also, when we when we cook things that are really simple, like just beans and rice or um, veggie burgers, that sort of thing, um, the sauces are there to sort of save the day and boost the flavor. Um, so on those off nights, when you either take shortcuts or you have leftovers that you just really are not looking forward to eating, um, having a couple of sauces prepared can really elevate um, elevate your game. And you don't even have to prepare sauces. If you just buy a couple of different bases every week, um, Sam goes through salsa like crazy. So I have stopped trying to make it at home. Um, I will buy a really nice jarred salsa. So he really likes the Trader Joe's ones. I love the Frontera brand. Um, and then I'll sometimes, um, since the sodium level is kind of high, I'll mix in a can of diced unsalted tomatoes. Um, and then that counts as a sauce. It's going to boost the flavor of your, we keep using the example of beans and rice, um, but we eat far more than that. Um, <laughs> I do eat, I eat a lot of lentils, um, a lot of quinoa, um, you know, all the, the bowls that we tend to turn to, um, you know, giant salads, things like that. These um, little flavor boosts are going to go a long way. Yeah, I like all that because I think I think meal planning itself is an intimidating topic. Like someone mm-hmm. just thinking about having to plan five meals for yourself in the week gets to be a lot. Like even when you're, you know, we, like this is what I do for a living. And it's still a big deal for us to go plan. And like no one feels like looking at the cookbook shelf and having to pick all those, all narrow all those choices down to five recipes. Plus then right. you've got the whole interwebs full of other ones. Uh, <laughs> well, if you if you did not like cooking and you had you know ten to fifteen minutes a night, um, you know you can still meal plan. You can do things like the the clamshells of pre washed greens, um, cans of beans, frozen um, veggie burgers. The Engine Two Diet has some really wonderful veggie burgers that are made from all real ingredients. They're incredibly low in sodium, um, no added sugar because um, you know that sometimes sneaks in into all kinds of processed foods. And you can mix and match those. Um, you can reach for, you know, Trader Joe's um, has a lot of really wonderful bottled sauces. Um, again, kind of high in salt and sugar, so you can dilute them either with unsalted veggie broth, with the diced tomatoes. If it's a creamy sauce, you could add almond milk. Um, and you can have dinner on the table in 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah, I like that a lot. Like I said, I think it just, people think, and even I sometimes fall into this, you think meal planning means you need to plan different meals for every single night, uh, when in fact, as you've just just uh, 
given examples of, you can just throw things together and like, I guess I can see why people would say like that takes some skill to do that. But once you've done it a few times, you realize like it almost always works pretty well. Uh, like yeah. if you're not trying to make gourmet food, then yes, you can take your jar of salsa and pour it on top of a baked potato and add some black beans and maybe some scallions on top. And you have something that resembles a meal there. Like, yes, you'd probably want some more greens like that. And it'd be nice if you can serve that on a bed of spinach or something. But like, mm -hmm. I, I think this is really helpful that, that you could just plan two meals a week and then, but also plan to use those ingredients, particularly the sauces uh, later on as you just sort of not really cook, but just kind of combine foods that you have around. Absolutely. And I don't know how it works in your house, but we always end up with not quite a portion of like three or four different things by Wednesday or Thursday. Mm -hmm. So we'll have like a half a cup of quinoa that, you know, it's fine as a side dish, but that's going to be good for one person. Um, we end up mixing those into a bowl. And Sam lovingly calls all food that I serve to him in a bowl that has multiple components, he calls it gruel. Um, so <laughs> I don't take it personally. If we're not, I'm not um, serving him, you know, porridge or anything like that. But he, when we put all these little bits of leftovers um, together and um, freshen it up with some veggies, um, usually greens or broccoli or shredded cabbage, um, then it becomes something new. And um, again, we have the sauce that we can just dump on top and suddenly it's a totally new meal. And it feels like all those trendy bowls that you see all over Pinterest. Right. My other favorite Samism is uh, one that you told me that when you're developing recipes or just fooling around um, uh -huh. and, and something isn't, isn't tasty enough for him, he'll, he'll tell you that it needs more flavonoids and you need to add more flavonoids to it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then I tried to explain to him that that is an actual term. <laughs> and I was like, we get plenty of flavonoids on our plant-based diet. And he's like, no, flavonoids, flavonoids. And um, he's, he's a good sport. Um, when, I, when I travel and he tries to replicate this on his own, um, he's usually pretty successful. So um, that's actually kind of a good segue for, for some of the um, background info on the book that these recipes have been tested in real life, not only by me, but by Sam. So um, when we first started dating, I was traveling quite a bit for work. And he would text me and call me and say, what was that dish that you made for me two weeks ago? I'm trying to make it. And so I would email him. I would write things down. And um, eventually, I had this big collection of recipes. And now, um, almost seven years later, most of those recipes are in the book. Um, he is, as we said, a cyclist, and I'm a runner, you're a runner. We've tested all of these recipes in real life. So if the next day on the bike, he doesn't feel great, or if I feel awful on the yoga mat in the morning, um, we you know, don't make that dish again. Gotcha. I, uh, I should point out a fun fact about the cookbook writing process was that, uh, that although the Cashew Ranch, which we call it I Can't Believe It's Cashew Ranch, uh, was not allowed to be called Sid's Cashew Ranch dressing in the in the editing process. For some reason, we're not allowed to put names in the recipes. Did you find that odd at all, Stephanie? I I did. Yeah. I wonder. Uh, I, th I think maybe that's just become such a cliched thing that every book has like ten like like John's apple porridge or like Amy's. Right. I guess not Amy's because that's the, that's a brand. But uh, right. Yeah. So I guess I can understand why they did that. But I thought it was funny that we had to come up with a new name the for the editors. It, it is. Up. Yeah. They it said is. they said no names in recipes. We don't do that. But as a testament to Matt's 
stardom, we were allowed to keep his name in one of our smoothies. Oh, is that right? I didn't, I didn't even, that it didn't is. It's me. like your your everyday smoothie, and and we fought we fought for it. I mean, not fought for it, but we we made a case that this is this is the smoothie that Matt drinks every day, and he he feeds his kids, and so it should be called Matt's. I can't remember the exact yeah. name. It has has a lot of modifiers. Um, it's a really, really long name. A lot of modifiers really... for a food that actually has like four ingredients and is probably the simplest smoothie <laughs> in the whole book. It is. Um, but it, it's really delicious. Um, yeah, that's, that was a good one. So we also, oh. interestingly enough, um, were not to use the word delicious, tasty, yummy. <laughs> All of those words are um, verboten in cookbooks because, uh-huh. of course, they become cliche and overused. So Right. Every recipe is delicious, even though we don't call them. You know, <laughs> you know I, not to, uh, I don't mean to bash other cookbook authors, because I actually really like this book, uh, Chloe's Vegan Italian Kitchen. You know that one, Stephanie? Yep, Chloe I do. Yeah. <laughs> so like every blur or description there says, this is the very best lasagna you will ever eat in your life. And like every recipe says something to that extent, like this is the best of this and this is the best of this. Which I, I, so I can kind of understand why the cookbook author would, or editors would, uh, would say, let's not, let's not have the authors call their own stuff delicious or the best, because obviously that's why it's in the book. Yeah. I, I'm actually grateful that our editors had that rule because it, it may, kept us from being flabby writers. And part of my day job is, is being an editor and uh, hyperbole in writing has <laughs> just gotten out of control. It has to. You've got to get the click somehow, right? Yeah, this is the best ever. And <laughs> I mean, we are slightly biased, but this is probably definitely the best cookbook you'll ever buy. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, it was, it was listed as Sports Illustrated's uh, best yeah. health and wellness. I don't, yeah, did we mention that? I, you know, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think this is a good time for us to pause for a minute to thank our sponsor. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Health IQ, the life insurance company that advocates for the vegan and health conscious lifestyles. All right, Matt, let's play a quick game, lightning round. What are the active things that you've done in the past month? Doug, I've been going to martial arts classes twice a week. I've okay. been hitting the gym. Uh-huh. And although I've not been really running, I also went to some yoga on the cruise. Oh, that's not bad, not bad. Let's see, I've gone hiking. I have gone on a bunch of runs, including some long runs, regular strength work and yoga at home disc golf, cycling, and baby bouncing, which sounds worse than it is. Sounds worse than it is, but you know, you put it on your hip and you kind of like bounce around so she falls asleep. Okay, I guess that counts, Doug. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I think we're doing pretty good, which is, which is a good thing because research has shown that people who actively exercise have a 22% lower cancer risk, a 50% lower risk of heart disease, and 34% risk, lower risk of early death. Health IQ rewards us for those lower risks. That's right. They unapologetically advocate directly for health-conscious people to receive financial rewards when it comes to life insurance. So head over to healthiq.com slash no meat, that's one word, to learn more on all sorts of ways you can save money on life insurance. That's healthiq.com slash no meat. So I want to talk about flavor enhancers a little bit more. Flavonoids. Uh, Flavonoids. Are, are you mostly referring to <laughs> when when you talk about flavor enhancers? Are you mostly talking about sauces, or is there other stuff too? Oh, I am so glad you asked, Doug. There's more. Um, in addition to, of course, we have sauces, um, both hot and cold. Um, really simple stuff. We also have a lot of seasoning blends. So I am really big on using herbs and spices whenever possible, and um, we have this 
mentality that when we buy herbs and spices, because they're fairly pricey, we should only use a tiny little bit and then we keep them around for a decade and they lose all their flavor. Um, I'm a big fan of actually using them. They're packed full of phytochemicals. They are nutrition powerhouses um, and they add flavor for almost no calories and no fat. They're not adding salt. They're not adding sugar. It is free flavor right there. So um, we add a lot of different blends or we have a lot of different blends in the book that are pretty easy to mix up and keep on hand. Yeah, I like that tip a lot. Uh, Dr. Greger puts one of his uh, daily dozen is herbs and spices. And I think like I've been ever since I kind of just got into that mindset. Uh, like I never used to use parsley that much. Like unless a recipe called for it, I wouldn't just go out and buy Italian parsley and add it to my food. But I realized like you can get a quarter cup or a half cup of greens on, on every serving of your dinners if you want, just by adding that stuff in there. And it usually doesn't ruin the flavor of the food. You can use cilantro if it's an Indian dish or a Mexican dish and kind of get the same thing or a basil if it's a even more Italian dish than would require Italian parsley. Uh, but but you're right. There's a ton of nutrition in those urban spices and a lot of flavor too. And like, why not just use them? Because we also we end up if we don't do that, we end up with with three quarters of it unused anyway. And and like you said, that's right. bad. Exactly. And I actually um, add parsley stems to my smoothies. I'll add the leaves as well. Um, but I add um, cilantro stems, parsley stems, though, and I also use dandelions sometimes in smoothies. And like and, greens or like you go pick them from your, from your garden or your yard? No, actually you should never pick the dandelions from your garden um, because you never, or from your lawn, because you don't really know what may have been sprayed, especially if you live in a, in a city. Um, but I use dandelion greens. Gotcha. Yeah. You know they're a diuretic. So they're also really good um, after travel. And we actually have a, a smoothie in the book that uses dandelion greens That's to right. help with that sluggish feeling that you might get either after, um, I get, I kind of feel that way after races when I've just really put my body through the ringer or after travel. Yeah. Those, uh, those bitter greens like dandelion greens. A lot of people I think just have an aversion to them because they're bitter, but I think mm -hmm. if you can get over that, it's, it's a really good thing. So the way I like to throw together a salad usually is take one part, fairly mild greens like spring mix or whatever. And then the other part, something that's more bitter flavored, uh, like arugula or dandelion greens or radicchio or something like that. And it just makes for a nice, enjoyable salad. Yes, it's a little bit more bitter than just straight up spring mix, but uh, you add a lot of nutrition. And with just a little bit of practice, basically, you start to uh, to enjoy those those bitter flavors. But that bitterness uh, usually is a sign of, of more nutrition. So long as it's Absolutely. not so clear that, it's, that it tastes like poison or something. Cause then, right, exactly. That's usually that. a, a sign that um, you shouldn't eat that. <laughs> However, you, you and your family tend to eat your salad at the beginning of the meal, right? We do. We while do that cooking. We right? do it while we are cooking. And I, I've since added yet another reason to do that. So my, I've mentioned this on the podcast a billion times, so people probably don't need to hear it. Uh, but just in case, uh, we, we do that because if, like, if we serve the salad at the same time as the food, which I used to do, then I found that the kids and even me that we just didn't really eat the salad. Like we might take three bites of it, but then we want to move on to the mac and mac and whatever it's called mac and chard. chard yeah, from uh, yeah. Robin Robertson's book. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, so, we, so we started. <laughs> that's what the kids eat every night. That's, that's <laughs> uh, so anyway, I just found that if I make if I put the salad on the table and and make a serving for myself while I'm cooking, if I'm the one cooking, then. People will tend to snack on the salad because they're hungry, including me as I'm cooking. I'll just, I don't even need to make a salad. I can just 
you know, shovel fistfuls of it into my mouth because I'm, I'm <laughs> hungry. Um, but the other good tip related to that is that it's a good idea to chop your cruciferous vegetables ahead of time, specifically 40 plus minutes ahead of time, which I know is a long time. Uh, but that's things like cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower. I mentioned arugula, which you don't usually chop. Uh, but if you're going to cook this stuff, then uh, it's a good idea to chop it ahead of time so that these these ITCs, as they're called, uh, have a chance to develop, and they're really powerful anti-cancer agents. But anyway, uh, it's also a good idea to chop onions and garlic somewhat ahead of time, too. So nowadays what I do is chop that stuff first, then put together the salad so I kind of buy some extra time in there, and then proceed with the rest of the meal. That's my That's a great idea. And it's also traditional to eat bitter foods before a meal to stimulate digestion and to stimulate bile production. So you're actually helping your digestion by having the salad first as well. There you go. Yet another reason. Yeah. It's my mission. Get people to do that. <laughs> All right. So um, let's see. Stephanie, before we move on to sports-specific type recipes, which, which I do when I do, uh, I have yeah. a selfish Instant Pot question for you. I cannot seem to get my Instant Pot to make beans with any consistency. So when I do it, first mm-hmm. of all, I'm, I'm just guessing at the time with a combination of blog advice and the Instant Pot cookbook and all that stuff, uh, of which, by the way, there are 1,030 Instant Pot cookbooks on Amazon Kindle <laughs> if you're interested in that sort of thing. Uh, and they're all 99 cents, too. Uh, but anyway, I, when it, so I, the beans on the top for me always turn out like crunchy in a way that's not good because you shouldn't you probably shouldn't be eating beans that way and the ones at the bottom end up overcooked so i have not found a good way to cook the whole batch of beans consistently in an spot do you have any pro tips there wow so are you are you soaking your beans beforehand no, or that's what people tell me to do and i'm always like but that's the mm-hmm. point of the instant pie is that you don't need to do right that. you can make it without that so, so i that. i tend to soak mine um so that would be tip number one however i don't always and again that's the beauty of the instant pot you can have beans on the table in 20 minutes um, after it comes up to pressure. Uh, You might need to just add a little bit more water. And I really dislike soupy beans. Um, I want them to turn out just as nice and and firm yet tender as they they are when they come out of a can. Um, But I found that with the Instant Pot, I need to add a little bit more water if they're not soaked. Um, So I, I follow the general general rule of covering food with an inch of water when I'm cooking it either in the slow cooker or um, using the pressure function on the instant pot. So um, if you, a general rule can also be one, one knuckle of water um, over the, the food and that should help um, to prevent it from being, being crunchy. And then sometimes if you, once that comes out, do they feel like they're undercooked or do they just feel like they've maybe dried out a little bit because they weren't submerged? You know, it's more that, that they're a little bit dried out. Like so, they didn't even have a chance to cook. Um, two things you might do. One is to let the pressure release naturally mm-hmm. versus um, letting the steam out, which I really can't do at my house because it terrifies the cats no matter where they are in the house. <laughs> I really, I have three cats, um, which if people know me for more than an hour, they'll, they'll learn. Um, <laughs> the, the Instant Pot release terrifies them and they jump straight up you know what the Um, beeping of the spot terrifies our dogs i don't know why it's very loud that's my one complaint is that the thing beeps at you and makes noise all the time so instant pot if you're listening if you could make a silent instant pot or a setting Mm. where you could turn that off that would be awesome um so the the one yeah so back to the two tips um one would be to let the pressure release naturally okay so that 
pets are happy and that I think it helps the, the steam sort of reabsorb, the liquid sort of reabsorb rather uh -huh. than be released quickly. Right. And then also um, take the lid off once the the pressure has been released and give them a stir and then put the lid back on for, for 10 minutes if you have time. Um, and that'll, it, they'll continue to cook. They'll um, continue to have some carryover cooking time mm. and that should help. Okay. Cause I've experienced that before. Cause sometimes I want to cut it really close with the amount of liquid that I'm using. And I um, like to experiment with that um, to avoid the, the soupy beans and especially lentils. When you add too much water to lentils or too much broth, they get waterlogged and they split Mm, and they basically yeah, be no lentil soup, and I don't want that. So right. those are the two things that I would recommend. Good. I actually like the one a lot about putting the lid back on, because I kind of always assume that if I'm going to do a midway through stir and put the lid on, then I need to let the Instant Pot repressurize and do all that again. But uh, I like that idea of just letting them sit there, stirring and letting them sit in that, in that hot water for a minute. Yeah, and they, it has that automatic keep warm setting, and that's going to yeah. be enough to keep them warm um, and they won't they won't cook so much that they'll they'll get mushy but I might be the only person listening that doesn't know what an Instapot is <laughs> I, I was gonna just, I was ready to just do that because on the cruise two weeks ago uh, some at one of the dinner tables I was at we started talking about Instant Pot and then someone after like 20 minutes was like what is an Instant Pot so not everybody knows what it is. It's it's a pressure cooker. It's a glorified okay. pressure cooker for okay. vegans, right? For vegans. It, yeah, for, ve <laughs> yeah, for vegans. It, it makes quick work of so many things, Doug. The only thing I found that it doesn't do well is rice. Um, but I'm just going to confess, I am terrible at cooking rice. I always have to read the directions on the back of the package. And half the time, it just does not turn out right. And I, I lived in South Korea for a year. I, I've owned rice cookers in the past, and I still for whatever reason every every cook has something that they're not very skilled at doing and and for me that's rice so <laughs> so don't follow the rice recipe in the nominati cookbook we know <laughs> you know we actually it just came that. from the back of the, of the that's rice right cookie. we did pull that i remember that i just yeah <laughs> uh, you know rice. i mean instant pot i think is is cool i haven't yet i don't yet get what is all the fuss is about like i i have had inconsistent results with also with rice and beans and I don't quite get why it's so much better than a regular fresh cooker. But whatever. It, we do own one, and, and I've, I've had some success with it. But I like that it also takes the place of a slow cooker because I, right. I have never owned another, in, another pressure cooker, but I had borrowed a slow cooker from a friend to see if I wanted to buy one, and I was really not impressed. Um, I'd used them you know, when I was a kid because um, pretty much I've cooked dinner for my family um, my entire life. That was my chore of choice. Um, so I'd used them in the past, but as a vegan, I just, I didn't see the appeal of, of one. I'm a big uh, slow cooker fan. Really? Like this. Oh yeah. We use ours. I mean, what do you slow cook? The, inst like the instant pot. Oh, yeah? All winter in like, uh, like curries and I don't oh. know, all kinds of stuff. Okay. Well, we well, used it well, at list. least once or twice a week, all winter long. We'll add it to your list of character traits for for the Doug. For the Doug <laughs> the the radio character. <laughs> <laughs> analyze us based on you know. Do you like the instant pot, the fast high pressure, or do you prefer the slow cooker? Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's also the air fryer. Do you know anything about that? I do. Well, I I I know of it, and I don't fry things ever. But it's I'm, I'm kind of scared. Like air nutrition fry? aside, I don't want thing, like an boiling grease. The, oh, the air popper? No, like no, a not pop the air popper. Pop no, no, no. Air fryer. The other thing that if you go to the Kindle bookstore and go to the vegan category, it's all air fryer cookbooks yeah. and instant pot cookbooks. And I don't, I don't even know what it is, but people are really into it. 
Mm-hmm. Sounds like a good idea. Sounds like an as seen on TV idea to me. It like makes a, like everything discovery crispy. Yeah, I, I've seen, I follow a couple of people on Instagram who, maybe one of them, I think J.L. Fields might be writing an air fryer cookbook. Yeah, that actually name came to mind for me too. I don't, she's done yeah. something with it for sure. And she has a wonderful vegan pressure cooking cookbook as well. That's right. Um, but I see, I see her meals and they look really good. Um, it creates this crunchy texture using very little oil. And I don't know the science behind it. I, I think maybe what I've read is that it somehow like disperses the oil. But I just in general don't feel like I need that in my life. And I've kind of... Um, you don't need another thing on your countertop? Oh, I, if you guys could see my kitchen, I have the tiniest kitchen. And um, my kitchen when I, when I was writing the book um, was even tinier. Um, so we have a Vitamix and we have a food processor and we have the Instant Pot. And then, of course, a toaster oven and a coffee maker. But <laughs> that that's it. Like a lot. Like, that does sound like a lot. <laughs> you got to put it away in between uses. That's what we do. Yeah, we we do. We have um, we just have very little little space. We have this really cute little cottage type house, and um, our kitchen it does not look like the kitchen of someone who writes cookbooks. <laughs> All right. So um, before we get too far off track here, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about about the sports recipes in the book because I do think that is one of the best parts of the book. Uh, in particular, Switchel. And so we, we've written a blog post about Switchel. I don't remember the URL of it or even the title, but if you Google Nomad Athlete Switchel, and that is spelled like the word switch with an E-L at the end of it, um, you will find it. And I love Switchel. So I, Stephanie, you introduced me to this actually in, in the cookbook writing process, and I had never heard of it before, but you said it was a new thing that, that was trendy and popular. Uh, but it, to me, is a is a trend that should last forever because it is really good it when i made the, when i tested the grape juice version in our book uh the the striking thing to me was that it tasted just like grape gatorade which used to be my very favorite flavor and i was so excited because i i thought that that stuff was just i mean it is like that stuff is not really very healthy for you and like maybe has some targeted use as a runner but if i can get a natural version of that exact same thing that's made out of whatever it is grape juice apple cider vinegar i think maybe a little lemon juice is in that one uh mm-hmm. Some salt, yeah. Yeah, it just, I mean, it. it's just like the, a great sports drink. So my son uses that for his Little League games now, and to him it's a treat when he gets that at all. Uh, so I, th- it just, I think it's a really, really good uh, natural sports drink that, that everyone should know about. So can you talk here, Stephanie? I don't know if you can do this off the cuff or not. I hope you can. Um, about just a general way someone would make Switchel uh, or just the idea behind it that, that someone listening to this who doesn't, you know, who doesn't go to that blog post or whatever, uh, doesn't buy the book, can, can just use? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Switchel is new and trendy, but like so many new and trendy things, it's actually really old. Um, it is what farmers used to drink in the fields um, to stay hydrated. And it's made of really simple ingredients. They used to call it Haymaker's Punch. And our recipe uses four cups of water, um, we use apple cider vinegar, and I actually pulled up the recipe so I can share the amounts. It's mm. two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, and you want to use the raw, unfiltered kind here because it has all kinds of good minerals um, in there. The mother. It has the mother in there. Yeah, you want all that good stuff. <laughs> um, that nat- fermented foods, man. There's, again, another super trendy but oldest time mm-hmm. um, food. And then we add maple syrup as our sweetener. And uh, the maple syrup contains magnesium and potassium, so it's going to help you with your 
Cramping, preventing that. Uh, apple cider vinegar can help with nausea and that sort of sour stomach that comes along with uh, long runs and endurance activities. And then I like to add ginger. Our base recipe has uh, ginger. And then we add sea salt. We start with a quarter teaspoon, but you can really do it to taste. And then as Matt said, we created all these fruit juice variations and you can add just a cup of fruit juice. So there's a trend these days to eat your fuel instead of drink it. So the Switchel as is, it just has the two tablespoons of maple syrup. It's just enough to sweeten it. So it's not really going to be that high carb drink that you're used to. Um, but then when you add the fruit juice, it becomes the sports drink that we all know and love that has those quick um, to access carbs. Yeah. And uh, we, we didn't mention that yet, but we should that in the book we did, we did kind of take that trend uh, too hard or keep that trend in mind. And we did make mm -hmm. a lot of the, the, or they are, you know, some of the sports drinks are more like electrolyte drinks in that they're not really providing much in the way of calories, specifically carbohydrate, uh, because the expectation is that someone will get that somewhere else, either from one of the other recipes in the book or gels or fruit or whatever way they like to get it. Um, mm -hmm. Which I think it, you're right. That is the trend, especially as people kind of get into longer distance sports. It seems like, like ultra running, um, cycling, things where, where the intensity isn't, I shouldn't say all cycling, but just ultra long distance cycling, where the intensity isn't so high that you can't even fathom stomaching whole food. Uh, mm -hmm. People tend to, to do the, the eating thing and, and just drink the electrolytes and hydration. Uh, so anyway, we, we kept that in mind, but but as demonstrated by the grape switchel and the other fruit juice switchels, uh, we tried to uh, to have really just offer both options for people when we could. Absolutely. And lately, I have been doing hibiscus tea mm -hmm. in my switchel. So I use the base recipe, and then I use hibiscus tea. And if you're not familiar with it, it's it has this really lovely sour flavor that reminds me of Kool-Aid. And yeah, so I right call that, that, yeah, I, I called it grown-up grown Kool-Aid switchel. Um, <laughs> and and I, I love it. Um, the company that I work for makes an organic hibiscus tea, it's Gaia Herbs. And I love that. I make that all the time. Um, and for me, I don't like sugar. So even though I know that I need some carbs when I'm working out, I don't like the flavor of sugar in my mouth. I feel like it gives me cotton mouth. It just kind of leaves me feeling sort of stagnant. So the hibiscus really cuts through that and it's super sour. Um, we also have some lemon lime versions that are really nice for people who are sort of averse to sweet flavors. I think you might be the first person I've ever heard say that you don't like the flavor of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so weird. I will crave sweets now and again. But um, actually, that's a funny story from when Matt and I were pitching the book that we did not have enough desserts originally. <laughs> and the publisher was like, so where are the sweets? And we were like, oh, <laughs> we don't eat them very often. But it was really fun to develop that chapter. My, my husband has a sweet tooth and his sweet tooth is insatiable when it flares up. And donuts, again, right, right donuts. donuts. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you all of the good he, vegan donuts. Um, we yeah. have to give a shout out to Vortex Donuts in Asheville. They make amazing vegan donuts. And um, I'm told that they make great cycling fuel. I wouldn't know, but Sam has actually <laughs> taken a dozen donuts on a bike ride. For <laughs> so, um, that yeah. is funny. Uh -huh. So he, ba he, he balances it. We have um, so many recipes in the book. We have an entire chapter devoted to fuel that's either for during or after exercise. Um, I do try to keep him and 
he's a super healthy eater, but he, he likes sweets and, um, he rides his bike on the weekends for, you know, sometimes six hours, sometimes longer. So he needs a lot of calories. Um, and then he rides for a couple of hours after work every day. So I get it when you're replenishing that many calories, donuts are an easy way to do that. Um, and then you balance it out with all the kale and the quinoa and the, the lentils and all the good stuff. Um, one of our favorite sports recipes in the book are the calorie bomb cookies. And those are these 500 calorie whole foods cookies that you can take with you on long hikes or bike rides. Um, I've never tried them on a run. Um, but then again, I'm not doing ultras like you two are. So they may work for people doing those sorts of runs. I, I think we're probably the only book in the world who, for whom calorie bomb would be seen as like a beneficial thing. <laughs> like people want that because they're <laughs> right. calorie bomb. But that's and, good. That's amazing. And they're, they're all whole food calories. So it's the basis is basically a banana cookie made with whole wheat flour. And then we add in all kinds of deliciousness with um, shredded coconut and walnuts and chocolate chips and sunflower seeds. And they're just packed with really good, delicious whole foods and calories. Um, and, and we actually tested those um, on Sam's bike team when they were doing this epic ride um, up in New England a few years ago. Hmm. Very cool. Well, Stephanie, I think we should probably wrap it up. I was going to want us to cover oil-free option type stuff or like cooking with just basic oil-free cooking instructions, microwave-free cooking tips, because we did we made sure that every recipe in the book had an oil-free option. That was something that was very important. It was one of the ground rules going in for us, not set by the publisher, set by us. Um, but we're not going to have time to do that, so I will actually leave you with a cliffhanger or a uh, a reason to go to go pre-order this book, and that's that uh, if you order it between now and Monday, April third, is that right? Yes, that is right. Also known as opening day for baseball. Uh, so if you, if, you, if you pick up the book between then, uh, you will get a little video series that Stephanie and I are going to make uh, that is about those two exact ideas. And I, I truly was, I didn't intend to uh, to only only do this as a cliffhanger, but uh, we we would have liked to, to just, I don't know, gloss the surface of those ideas. But uh, I don't want to make this too long. So anyway, if you, uh, if you order before Monday or by, before the end of the day on Monday and you forward us your receipt, that's the important part. You have to forward the receipt to support at nomadathlete.com. Then uh, you, will, uh, you will get access to that oil-free and microwave-free little cooking video series that we do. And that we don't have ready yet or even a date, but uh, we're aiming to get that out before the actual book comes out. So anyway, uh, you can do that. It's at nomadathlete.com slash cookbook. And if you go there, by the way, you will see uh, lots of other stuff about the book, including lots of nice things that people like uh, Dr. Michael Greger, Kathy Freston, Rip Esselstyn, and many others have had to say about it. Uh, and so anyway. Sports Illustrated. Oh, yes. We, I don't think we've mentioned that yet. It, it was a Sports <laughs> Illustrated Best Health and Wellness book <laughs> of 2017. So anyway, um, this has been fun, Stephanie. I hope people have gotten a lot out of it. I actually learned some new tips here that I did not know, even in the process of writing a whole cookbook with you. So I'm hoping that others have done the same well thank you so much for having me it's been a really fun way to spend a morning yeah. and i look forward to coming back and sharing more tips all right that sounds good thanks stephanie we will talk to you soon okay bye all right bye everyone